0: We aren't naturally monogamous animals, and so basically what we're doing is standing on one foot for 50 years. Uh, And if somebody asks you to stand on one foot for 50 years, and twice you put your left foot down and touch the floor, you're actually really awesome at standing on one foot for 50 fucking years. But the idea that we have about monogamy is, it's literally the only thing humans do where perfection is the only standard for success.
2: So you guys know we have the studio in my home. In the crib In the crib And I just, I have a new neighbor. She works from home. Over there? And she fucking talks. No. On the phone. No. No. And we so, okay. So I live in a, it's so cute. It looks like a Dutch wonderland. Yeah, and, it's really um, cute. All my neighbors are awesome. And they like hang out with each other. I didn't know that. And it was really gross. cute. I kind of keep that to myself, gross. but I'm like friendly. <laughs> and, um, so we had a taco Tuesday on Tuesday night I and know. I was like, you know what? I should go. Mm-hmm. Like I should just, cause they, they, they're always like, Oh wow. You're here. You know oh, what I mean? Like, okay. I'm, cause we're always out of town for yeah. the tour or at least when we've done it, they've done it. And, um, they were all very sweet. Everyone came out of the woodwork, even the ones downstairs that have birds and I never see them. What kind of birds? I don't know. Freaks me out when you have birds, to be honest. No hate, but it's more like a. um, I worry about bird feces in the air. Yeah. And like bird feathers and just like gook. Anyway, but this new girl's really, really nice next door, but she um, works from home and talks on the phone. I was like, oh God. Oh no. What should I do? Should I. Like I told her about the podcast and then we record in there and everyone. Send her passive aggressive notes. Yeah, just like. I'll just like peek and be like,
1: Hey, it's me. Um, we're about to roll. just put another note. be like, "Hey, everyone can hear you," <laughs> and act like you don't anonymous. know Anonymous, yeah, anonymous, signed exo exo anonymous. XO, XO anonymous. So. The thing with birds is that like you can't cuddle them. It is the I don't want an animal I can't cuddle.
2: I'm sure he has an argument for that. It's him and his wife.
1: I and... think they're smart. Uh-uh. You know, but like it's like I can't like hold it
2: close to me. I actually I was really upset. There's on Wilshire, like a mile down the road from me. There's an exotic bird shop, and there's a fucking toucan in a cage. Yeah, that in the window breaks my heart. Breaks because like toucans like are like a little character, mm. and he's just so sad.
1: Actually, from the rainforest.
2: From the rainforest in a cage on a Wilshire trade
1: Boulevard on in, Wilshire Boulevard for why? Like why? What kind of like monster besides like drug dealers in the eighties wants like exotic animals as
2: pets? I don't know. And I, I feel like I, we can pick it.
1: <laughs> what?
2: Just like stand outside. Oh, hundred percent. Be like, this is fucked up.
1: It's fucked up. And like, you're a loser. Like we need to shame those people. Honestly, they need to be shamed. Yeah. That's terrible. It's like, what, who do you, like, who do you think you are? You're like, sweet. I have a toucan at my house. Like
2: what? No.
1: No, no I mean, that and so when we were in Japan, they have um cat cafes and they have owl cafes. So the owls for the most part are bred in captivity. So they're kind of, u- this is what they say. They're kind of used to like being around humans,
2: being Whoa. inside,
1: but it is kind of sad to see the owls in these spaces. And like, there's just like humans coming in and are out. Are they out
2: of a cage? Yeah, they're, they're out
1: of a chillin'? cage. They're chilling, they can fly. But, you know, like, it just, like, what's hard is that, like, for an owl, you know, they just have these scheduled things where the people come in and just pet them.
2: Also, are you in the dark at this cafe? Because I think owls like the nighttime. I know.
1: Same. Yeah. So, the owls are, so then they're forced to no longer be nocturnal. And then they also have cat cafes. So, there was, like, this bangle cat cafe. You know, bangles, how they can, like, breed those. Oh. um, Or, like, the bangle cats. Yeah. Oh, like a kitty. Yeah, like a kitty. Yeah, there's this like breed called bangles and they're Mm. really small. And they had like 10 of them in the room and like cats do not fuck with other cats. No. So all of them were like so on alert. Their eyes were like, the pupils Mm. of their eyes were so big. They were like fighting other cats. It was just like, I'm sure they What's just were on. so stressed out all the time. Totally. I mean, it's just, ter- that stuff is just like terrible. But I do think they have they have little like puppy cafes. I think that's like, I, I think puppies are like down with it.
2: <laughs> I don't know. I'm not saying- But like, then they also serve dogs in
1: Asia. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think they've moved away from that, but mm. I know. But I mean, pigs are just as smart as dogs.
2: A hundred percent. You know? Yeah. So. Completely. And we
1: have an excess of dogs. Mm just saying
2: <laughs> just saying oh we're gonna get hate mail yeah oh, literally just saying okay. we should eat dogs just saying yum yum <laughs> yum yum okay hello Rowan everyone. hello how are you um welcome to the almost 30 podcast if you're new to the podcast welcome thanks for subscribing um mm-hmm. uh, we love you so much Saw so all
1: the groups. We have a bunch of other subgroups popping off on Facebook that you guys are creating and not inviting us and to And not Anyways. inviting us to.
2: So if you create a subgroup, just know that mom and mom want to be a part yeah, of it. Yeah. Literally. <laughs> We're literally, Chris just is like, There's a Chicago group. Created and they, you. <laughs> they did they didn't they didn't invite us. I was like, what do you mean? Dude, none of them have. I have to request every time. No invite yeah. us <laughs> we want to be a part of the convo we
1: do we want to see what's up but we <laughs> love that you guys are doing that so keep creating those subgroups i linked every one of them in the the larger secret facebook mm. group so you can find your city's
2: subgroup yeah there so nice mm-hmm. book groups book groups um all people getting things. together for fitness mm-hmm. so anyway we love that. Mm-hmm. And we're on tour. We've been seeing you on tour. We are wrapping up this leg of the tour. And then for the rest of the year, we'll be in a, a little cave creating for you all for the new year, which is really exciting. Mm-hmm. So stay tuned. Stay tuned. Um, and yeah. So do we have any business before we get into- uh, No biz. No biz. Straight up. Straight up to Dan. Dan Savage. Dan Savage. Truly legend yeah we were in seattle we were in seattle he is so famous in seattle he is
1: famous in seattle like he is one of the most influential people and in controversial Se- and controversial um in seattle and when we had dan at the riveter you know even the staff there was like wow dan savage is here like they were amazed that he was coming to interview us and that someone that has had such an impact on the seattle community was speaking with us and Dan was such a great interview. He was so warm. He is so authentic and honest and open. And um, we're excited to really like delve into some pretty exciting
2: topics with you. Yeah. Um, so Dan is an American author, media pundit, uh, journalist and activist for the LGBT community. Uh, he writes Savage Love, which is an internationally syndicated relationship and sex advice column in, um, the stranger, which is a publication. So I highly recommend checking that out. Dan doesn't hold back and, Uh, We love that about him. And what's so great about the conversations that we have on the podcast, you know, we're not going to invite people on all the time that we just agree with. And we can, you know, we want to have actual conversations where we learn about different points of view. And so many of them we share with Dan, but others like completely kind of like opened our eyes and made us think about some things. So you'll, you'll see that. What else? I mean, there's so much yeah. to unpack. So Dan has the really, really popular Savage Cast as
1: one of his mm-hmm. podcasts where you can ask him for love, relationship, sex advice. Um, it's always really highly ranked on iTunes, both in health and on the overall charts. And mm-hmm. it's really, really- Fun to listen to awesome to get insight into other people's relationships other people's sexual preferences What's going on in the the world really with Mm -hmm. sex and love and kind of the advice that dan has dan has related to that But one of the topics that I really loved that we talked about was the topic of monogamy And something that really changed the way that I think about monogamy how we currently or how I currently Mm -hmm. perceive it today so in our conversation with Dan, I was able to examine the fact that the way I grew up in a Catholic church, um, pretty conservative monogamy meant never cheating on someone, only being with them, maybe even only being with them as your only partner. Mm -hmm. And that's what true monogamy was. You know, you are not to look at anyone else. You're not to be attracted to anyone else. You're not to think about anyone else. And kind of these unrealistic expectations that we put on people, um and don't really see them as humans and um being a little bit more flexible and forgiving about um infidelity and cheating you know yeah. something that i've had in my life in and out of my life not in you know my current relationship now at all but it's just we are so hard and fast with saying like if you cheat you are a bad person mm-hmm. and you should be broken up with and all of these things but then people could go through a re- and have a relationship where they get verbally abused for years and years. But that, but because it's not cheating, it's not, you know, you shouldn't break up. There's just mm-hmm. such weird standards that we have related to infidelity. And, you know, just because you have one night where you make a mistake and you love someone for 30 years, shouldn't discredit like the love that you have for someone. Mm-hmm. Um, so it really helped me to be more forgiving and understanding of that
2: Absolutely. with people. Yeah um and then also on kind of a lighter note i was blown away by his piece of art and this festival that he brings every year. It's called the Hump Film Festival. You heard it right, Hump. Uh, It has been bringing audiences a new kind of porn since 2005. Um, So it features short, dirty movies um, each less than five minutes and all created by people who aren't porn stars but want to be one for a weekend and these films are destroyed after the weekend and they're never posted online. No one can bring in their phones. Like It is just in the moment watching these videos, these movies movies that people have created and it's funny Dan describes kind of the the evolution of the night of the festival where like mm. in the beginning people are like oh my god what the fuck? Yeah, and then by the end it's like everyone is just like cheering and supporting because we're all humans we all like ha- you know have that sexual being inside of us like at different levels each of us expresses it but I thought that was so cool you know I don't know if I would ever do it maybe maybe not but like it's it's fun to be expressive in a way that mm. society says is Bad And like, why is it bad? I think a lot of people have ruined the porn industry on like the side of like making money off of it. And Mm -hmm. I don't know, it's just, it's interesting to kind of think more deeply about. Mm -hmm. Um, So Dan helped us to do that. So we hope you enjoy this episode. We go in every which way. And Dan is just a super interesting Mm -hmm. human and yeah, let us know what you think. You can subscribe on iTunes, rate and review. If you love the podcast, share it with friends. It all means so much Mm -hmm. to us. We read a review every week. and happy to do so because it really lights up our lives and reminds us why we do this. Catch us on tour, almost30podcast.com slash tour. We will be going international in the new year. So if you are international and want us to come to your city, let us know. You can email us at hello at almost30podcast.com. Follow us on Instagram, almost30podcast. We love you. Is that it? Yeah. All right. See you on the other side. See you on the other side. Bye are you chicago proud
0: oh uh, my brother gave me this t-shirt he did (laughs) i like i love chicago it's a much better town than seattle
1: why do you say that
0: because it's not a bullshit town oh tell me more it's got real rapid transit it's got a subway and an elevated train system
2: are people allergic to like actual transit here besides their legs
0: I love Seattle, but I noticed that they're
2: like, Oh, I have to drive. And I was like,
0: Oh, well, driving here is a pain in the ass because it's seven hills all cut up by lakes and water and rivers. (laughs) So everything, there's always a bottleneck. And so traffic is terrible. And they didn't build a, a rapid transit system that took people out of traffic and gave them an alternative. Because Seattle is fucking stupid.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So why do you live here then? (laughs) Like, what's the? Is this
0: the interview now? Are we talking? Okay. This is it.
1: (laughs) Because you're the like such a prominent figure here, and like you're so important here. So
0: (laughs) why do I stay? (laughs) What's going on? Um, Well, I moved here to help start the Stranger, which is my home paper in Seattle. And a couple of years after starting the Stranger, I met my husband, Mm -hmm. and we had a kid. And he doesn't want to leave, and neither does our kid. Is now an adult, but still lives with us because that's the way things Mm -hmm. roll now. Yeah. With kids. Uh, 20 cool. Shut up. and wow. so i'm just kind of stuck here yeah because my husband won't go i was thinking that thing uh queen elizabeth the queen mother not the current queen elizabeth her mom uh during the second world war they wanted her to take uh, elizabeth the current queen and her sister margaret to canada and get them out of london away from the blitz away from the nazis and uh this is—I don't know how this is coming out of my mouth now. Because you're kind got, of
1: like the queen. Yeah, no, Terry.
0: Terry the, I'm, yeah, I am actually the queen. Of this. <laughs> so, like, so
1: in this scenario, I'm the queen.
0: Uh, why can't I leave Seattle? Uh, and Queen Elizabeth said, uh, "The girls won't leave without me. I won't leave without the king. The king won't leave. Mm. And I would leave Seattle, but." I won't leave without the king, and the king won't leave. And the king is Terry. <laughs> the
1: king is Terry. Yeah. And then you, your Terry. son is twenty. Yeah, he's living with you. Mm-hmm. Okay. What's what is like fatherhood like? <laughs> like what is really?
0: it? It's like a heroin problem. Uh, Tell me The highs you've never been so high. Uh, you've never been so blissed out. And the lows, you're like, why the fuck did I stick that needle in my arm the yeah. first yeah.
1: time? Yeah. My mom said that the other day on the phone. She's like, you know, sometimes as a parent, you you know, you regret having kids. <laughs> but <laughs> I was like.
0: Well, life is regret. You know, you have kids and you have your regrets. You don't have kids and you have your regrets. Mm. Um, You pick one person if you're going to partner for life, hopefully, and you have your regrets. There's that wonderful song from uh, Company by Stephen Sondheim where a character asks, uh, a single character asks a married friend, are you ever sorry you got married? And he says, you're always sorry Mm. and you're (laughs) always grateful. Mm. And that's really... It was just about any life choice. You could major like fork in the road, life choice around career or parenting or partnering. Mm. You're always like happy. Looking
2: over you. <laughs> the
0: cho- about the choice you made and uh, mourning the choice you made.
2: Yeah. Did you always have that like knowing or, cause I feel like our, like some people in our generation, or maybe it's even younger, like my brother's generation, early twenties, they think, you know, I have to be happy, you know? And if it like kind of strays from like, feeling comfortable, they freak out. So did you always kind of know that like shit was going to be hard uh, and also rewarding? Oh, I, I, Do you know what I'm I mean?
0: Catholic. Like shit is Same. hard. Yeah. Life is misery <laughs> and you suffering right now, and pain. Do you- uh, I, I call myself culturally Catholic. Oh, I like that. Uh, My Jewish friends helped me get there.
1: <laughs> what is a cultural Catholic? <laughs> well,
0: well I have all these friends who are Jewish that, you know, I helped start the stranger with and I knew them to be bacon eating atheists who didn't believe in anything. And yet they were doing Rosh Hashanah. They were doing mm-hmm. Yom Kippur. They were getting together and celebrating the holidays. And they were really kind of honoring their, cultural identity is Jews and I was like mm-hmm. well, why can't I do that as a Catholic mm-hmm. and not embrace the hocus pocus or, or believe in transubstantiation uh, or anything else but still f- describe myself as a Catholic because I feel very Catholic in mm. my Catholic education and my childhood and my parents and the, all the goddamn masses I had to sit yeah. through it carves a groove that it's a nice you can't integration
1: that you like it's a nice way to look at it to integrate it because I kind of resist it I think I I
0: were you raised catholic? Mhm. Same.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm from Ohio. So ah. we're we're on the cut from the same <laughs> cut from the same cloth in a way. So yeah, and I kind of see it as like I I want to move against it. So it's interesting that you I guess, like, integrate that into do your Do you know life.
0: what's really fun, though? When what? I say I'm culturally Catholic, it drives conservative Catholics crazy. Mm. So it is a way to move against it.
1: <laughs> that's your favorite thing to do. <laughs> like, if I know one thing, that's, that's the one thing I know. Like,
0: Bill Donahue, who runs the Catholic League, which is just this insane oh, anti-gay hate organization, is constantly uh, attacking me. And One of the reasons, one of the things he, like, gets upset about is when I call myself a Catholic. Because how them. dare I? You know, with all the dick I'm putting in my face and... The <laughs> (laughs) not going to church or confession for 30 years. How can I call myself a Catholic? Um, Because I can, because I am, because my parents were, because I'm baptized because I was raised Catholic and I have a Catholic education. And so I'm pretty fucking Catholic. I just don't believe in the hocus pocus anymore.
2: Mm -hmm. So what was, so you're raised Catholic, parents are Catholic. What was the experience when you came out to your parents?
0: It was a long ass time ago. uh, And I, Kind of now take a sort of softer sort of approach to mm. who my parents were then. Sure. Because it's easy. Now to look back through the prism of right now and fault my parents for not being kind of flag hero parents circa mm. 2018. But they were operating on the information that they had available to them then, which was incredibly limited. And the idea then was that homosexuality was something that, you know, your kid could drift into. And to keep them from drifting in, you had to nudge them in the other direction. So I got nudged a lot by my parents mm. and it made it really hard to come out to them. And when I did come out to them, it was a, uh, to my mom first, it was, uh, you know, she said all the wrong things. She told me I could never have a boyfriend in the house. She never wanted to meet anyone I was dating. Mm-hmm. And, but then she got over it really quickly. Ironically, jumping back to the top of this conversation with the help of a priest, because I told my really? mother I was gay. Uh, and the first thing she said was, did you hear the one about the two men who attacked a woman in Lincoln park, which was the gay cruising park in chicago and i said no mom. i lived in and my mom said uh, one held her down the other did her hair that was the first thing out of her mouth and i was like okay the doubt i expected
2: <laughs> like, What's going on? but
0: she had a big meltdown um and she called a priest whose name I he was still alive and still priesting so i don't give his name out because i don't want to get him in trouble with mm-hmm. the church But called this priest who came to our house. That's how Catholic we were. The priest would make house calls for us. Um, And she sat down with him on the front porch and said, Danny says he's gay. Now, Danny is. Danny says. Uh, And Father Tom uh, put his hand on my mother's knee and said, Judy, so am I. (gasps) I thought he was
1: going to be like, let's see how gay he is.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And And he told her it was better that she should love and accept it. And it was better that I live the life that mm. I was going to live oh. than live the life he lived, which he knew I was contemplating. Cause I had gone to a seminary for high school and was thinking about becoming a priest. Wow. So wow. So that helped. Thank you, father Tom.
1: Yeah. Thanks Tom. Yeah. Wow. Did you always feel the presence of God? Like, are you, re- so you're Catholic. Are you religious? I was told like, to, to feel you... the presence of mm-hmm. God.
0: And you know, when they tell you that shit, when you're a kid, you felt the presence of the fucking tooth fairy. You felt the presence of Santa Claus. Santa Claus was really it? watching. Yeah. <laughs> Like your parents tell you to believe something yeah. and they pretend to believe it. And so you're like, oh yeah, that's a thing. I can feel that, mm-hmm. you know, oh my God, the tooth fairy came last night. I I, I felt her in the middle of the night <laughs> moving my pillow. It was actually mom. <laughs> so yeah, I felt the presence of God until I woke up one day and went, yeah, this is tooth fairy stuff.
2: Mm. And has it kind of changed that feeling as you've done the work that you've done and connected and with so many people and changed and supported so many lives? well spiritually has that like
0: the, the thing i took away from my catholic education i think the the thing that everyone should take away from the bible uh is the golden rule do unto others as you would have them do unto you which means you want to treat other people the way you would like to be treated you know mm-hmm. you want people to be honest with you you want people to be kind to you you want people to be compassionate and understanding and forgiving with you and you need to be all that shit for other people too i always tell religious people have a problem with my column or the podcast to dump it all in a pot and boil it down to its essence. And you're left with do unto others. There's just more that can be done unto other people in my universe than perhaps in yours, but we're still operating under that moral principle.
1: Mm-hmm. Do you, yeah. What's that like for what you do? How do you deal with feedback and criticism? <laughs> I'm like, honestly, we get, we get one thing and we're like, yeah, we get one thing that's like, "Hey, you guys should cuss a little less." And I'm like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> like, what, what do you, like, you do? Way flat on the floor. Yeah, like, how do go. I?
2: Yeah, I need it's, some to us. inject dance. It's tricky. I get a my lot veins. of
0: grief. I get a lot yes. of criticism, and it's tricky because you can't. You don't want to dismiss it all because sometimes the person is right. Yeah, but you get so much of it that to. Function and, and to preserve your sanity, you just start tuning all of it out. So you have to sort of judiciously let a little bit of it in and know how to discard, you know, vicious bullshit that comes from a place of. It's just bullshit Mm -hmm. from, you know, strongly worded, even angry criticisms that are legit. Uh, And that's a hard sort of line to walk, but it's a privilege to get to walk it because it means that you're in this position where more people are listening to you than are listening to the person who's yelling at you. That's why they're yelling at you. Mm -hmm. And you just kind of have to be gracious about it and golden rule it a little bit. Like when I'm upset, I want to be heard. This Mm -hmm. person's upset. They want to be heard. Are they right? Are they wrong? Do I have to act on it? Do I need to think about it? We'll see Um, a lot of it. You know, there's this outrage culture on Twitter um, and certainly on Tumblr uh, where people are just sitting in front of their computers all day, you know, with a Hitachi magic wand between their legs, looking for outrage orgasms. And when those people get upset, I'm like, you're welcome. I gave you what you wanted, which Mm -hmm. was your Mm -hmm. anger and rage buzzing of your clip today. (laughs) Go for it. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. And and enjoy yourself. Um, and if it's not going to be me, it's going to be somebody else. Yeah. I've often now find myself in a position where I'm counseling people who are getting grief on the internet, who are getting dogpiled on Twitter Mm -hmm. or getting attacked everywhere. It, you know, other course. writers and <laughs> editors and, and, and TV people, when they like step on that rake and they get yelled at, um, somehow they know to call me because I've been through it a lot, <laughs> including being attacked by Fox News and Breitbart for a solid week. And, you know, I've been to that rodeo and I know how to to navigate it. Have you
2: always spoken your truth? Yeah. Like who was Dan Savage in his early 20s? <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> you know, there are truths I spoke and truths I didn't. The thing about opening your mouth when you're a teenager in. You know, 1980 in Chicago and telling your mom you're a fag is that that's hard. You know, that was a really difficult thing to tell mom Mm -hmm. that makes telling other truths to other people a lot less scary. Yeah. So, you know, telling my mom I was gay was the hardest thing I ever had to do. Telling my you know husband I'm pissed off about this or telling a boyfriend this is the kind of sex I like or, you know, getting into it with somebody else uh, around a conflict or an argument. Nothing is ever as scary as that. That's why gay people are so much more comfortable talking about their kinks or their relationships than straight people are. Because the hard part was telling mom you put dicks in your mouth, mm-hmm. you know, talking honestly with your sex partner about mm-hmm. sex. Is easy comparatively. Mm-hmm. And for straight people that what we regard as a molehill is the mountain, mm-hmm. which is why half of my job is telling straight people to use their words and talk to each other about the about sex they want to have.
2: We're, we're just getting hip to the idea that you know, I think women talk about it to each other and now it's like, Oh no, 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 that, that matters very little. You have to be talking to your, if you're, you know, in a straight relationship, like you have to be talking to your partner and that, and
0: you can't hold up the ability to read my mind as a test of someone's love and devotion mm -hmm. or emotional intelligence because nobody can read anybody's mind. And that doesn't seem to be a thing that guys have, but you know, painting with a broad brush, you make a generalization about men and women, you're generalizing about 3.5 billion people on the one hand and 3.5 billion people. On the other hand, there's going to be tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of exceptions. But broadly speaking, women really have this thing about guys need to read my mind. That means he loves me if he knows what I want without me having to tell him. It's these tests. Yeah, and that's just a recipe up. for romantic failure. Why do you,
2: I'm trying to think of why that is. Like, it's almost like we don't want to, well, what we've been that? learning, so I think we're well, on, like these things. People uh, don't want to
0: ask for what they want yeah. because and women are subjected to so much slut shaming, uh, and tamping down of their own desires that women often are left in a condition where they can't articulate their desires. So they want someone to just know what they want and do it. And women have to say it. You have Mm -hmm. to be able to speak it. You have to talk it. And and also sometimes women will find themselves saying it to a guy who's freaked out that they're with a woman who's saying it.
1: 100%.
0: Who's asking for what she needs to get off as opposed to letting him fly blind, which is what he's used to and expects from women. So it's a real uh, catch-22. It's Mm -hmm. a real (laughs) cock in a hard place (laughs) for Mm -hmm. a lot of women. But... Um, no guy can knows what you want without being told. Yeah. And I say this is somebody who fucks guys. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. Is there slut shaming in the gay community? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Like, what does that look like?
0: Well, uh, slut shaming is anybody who has more sex than you do. is <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> a slut. You know, Terry and I come in for some slut shaming because we're not monogamous mm-hmm. and we're, you know, married and parents and semi, you know, prominent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and unlike most, Gay couples, I think, who are um, prominent, were honest about the fact that we're not monogamous instead of being socially monogamous. Right. Uh, and that freaks some people out, and people like, you know, make assumptions about our lives that aren't true. And make up bullshit about us that we haven't done and Mm. push it out onto Twitter or Tumblr. Every once in a while, it's fun to read the rumors.
2: Yeah, you're like, (laughs) fun for you. That would be fun. That would be fun. What do you think it is?
0: And sometimes we don't worry about the stuff we've actually done that gets out there because it's just like, how are they going to tell this apart (laughs) from all the bullshit?
1: Totally. What do you think it is about monogamy that's such a trigger for people? Like, why is it...
0: Such a big deal? Yeah. Because we're told it's a big deal? Because we're told... You know, that if someone loves you, they're not going to want to have sex with anybody else. And then we fall in love and we still want to have sex with other people. And then we doubt our feelings because why do we want to fuck other people? uh, If we're in love with this person, we doubt our affection for that person. And that person doubts their affection for us and our affection for them. We just have to reframe the whole conversation around monogamy. Monogamy doesn't mean you don't want to. It means you don't you still want to and you could mm. undo a lot of the grief and anxiety and conflict that's generated in relationships if everyone could just accept what everyone knows to be true that of course you want to fuck other people and so does your partner so that's why he looked at the barista that's why she hired that personal trainer instead of some other personal trainer mm. the the question is are is she fucking her personal trainer is he fucking that barista and if the answer is no they're doing monogamy right
2: yeah and
0: but- you know, I get in trouble with things they say about monogamy sometimes, but uh, we aren't naturally monogamous uh, yeah. animals, and so basically what we're doing is standing on one foot for 50 years, uh, and if somebody asks you to stand on one foot for 50 years, and twice you put your left foot down and touch the floor, you're actually really awesome at standing on one foot for 50 fucking years. But the idea that we have about monogamy is, it's literally the only thing humans do where perfection is the only standard for success. If you're with somebody for 60 years and you cheated on them once, you were never in love and you were terrible at monogamy. I know. If Sean White is the world's greatest snowboarder, he can fall down and get up and still be the world's greatest snowboarder. It's crazy
1: um,
0: what we do to ourselves uh, and what we do to our relationships. And it's not non-monogamous relationships that are undermined by This bullshit. It's monogamous relationships. Mm -hmm. So when I say these things, it's not to talk everyone into having a non-monogamous relationship. It's not to disparage monogamous relationships. It's try to get people who want to have monogamous relationships to be realistic about what that Mm -hmm. means Mm -hmm. for 50 years. And if somebody cheats on you twice in 50 years in a monogamous relationship, they were good at monogamy and they loved you a lot. Mm -hmm. And if people could get that in their heads, then they wouldn't you know, if they find evidence that there was cheating at the end of a marriage, you know, on the deathbed, they're not going to then doubt everything that came before. Or if they were cheated on once and it comes out a couple years later, you don't have to get a divorce. We define infidelity as always a relationship extinction level event. Then we turn around and define everything as infidelity, micro cheating, like pornography, mm. uh, web uh
1: chat stuff chat stuff mm-hmm. um,
0: we define everything as cheating we define cheating as unforgivable and then we watch relationships collapse all around us and wonder why that's
2: mm. happening so is it sorry is it about like opening up lifting the shame opening up the conversation because I'm trying to think I'm like I guess what would bother me about any of that is the this the secrecy and the lying yeah everybody it. says that I don't, yeah, I'm just one, I'm like, oh, like if it was an open conversation. Let's see,
0: so so your your husband or your partner, Mm -hmm. your mate, I assume you want to have a monogamous commitment. That's your preferred model. You're with them for five years, you're married, maybe you have an infant, they come to you and say, I think I'm going to fuck this other person, no secrecy, no lies, that okay? You'd be devastated. right? Right. You find out five years after they fucked that person that they fucked that person, regretted it, never did it again, and had the decency... (laughs) to keep it from you so they could still be in your eyes what you needed them to be, which was the more loving considerate act. Oh, Hey honey, I'm going to go fuck this other person. That okay. Or, Oh my God, I fucked this other person, which is not carte blanche. I'm not smiling at serial mm-hmm. uh, cheaters. Uh, and I'm not talking about routine infidelity or the kind of cheating that can't be gotten past. I'm talking about these kind of one-off right. slip ups that people make yeah. mm-hmm. um, for all sorts of different reasons. And mm-hmm. as Esther Perel writes and state of affairs, not always because there isn't love there. People cheat on people that they love for their own reasons, for their own purposes, and to meet their own sort of emotional needs. And it's not just men who cheat. It's also women who cheat. Mm -hmm. And and so what do you do with that? Like going into making a long-term commitment, knowing what we know about infidelity and, and the statistics, odds are pretty good that you're going to get cheated on. or the
2: statistics? Or
0: you'll cheat. It's like 50% That's of men, 40% of women in long-term committed relationships. These are hard statistics. to Pardon me. Yeah. These are hard stats to nail down because people don't tell the truth. Yeah. yeah um,
1: they're like... <laughs> about it. Really like clear yes. their <laughs> The stats
0: used to show that men cheated much, much more mm. often than women cheated. And people were like, oh, women are monogamous. Women are the good ones. Women are the nurturers and, and need intimacy. And it's about the relationship. Yeah. Uh, mm. And as women have achieved more economic power, women now cheat as often as men cheat Mm -hmm. so it was never about women are more naturally monogamous or morally superior. It was that for cheating for women was much riskier and more dangerous because of violence, because of uh, the financial, getting pregnant mm-hmm. getting pregnant, but also violence. <laughs> if their partner should find out also yeah. uh, being divorced mm. and financially ruined or impoverished. If they were left for cheating thems- uh, themselves, um, it was much riskier for women as women have gained more economic power. It's become less risky. And now women do it as often as men do it. Mm. We're all dirty fucking, Mm-hmm. dirty fuckers dirty fuckers so, for, for your, dirty fuckers. Yeah. and so if you know that you're going you're making them out you're making a commitment you're going into a long-term relationship i really feel like everybody who's about to marry should have this conversation yeah. which is not i will never cheat on you but when or if you cheat on me or i cheat on you what are we going to do mm. are we going to prioritize the relationship and work through it are we going to leave each other like what's the plan and then to agree that It has to be judged on a case-by-case basis. Fucked your sister on your wedding night at the reception? Probably can't get past that. (laughs) 30 years into a marriage where you have property and home and kids and, you know, a position in the community and all these friends and networks that are knit together. And your sex life isn't really the defining characteristic or even the most important aspect of your intimacy. And he got jacked off by a masseuse on a business trip. Maybe you can get past that. For your
1: relationship did it evolve
0: was yeah it- we were monogamous for four years okay
1: and then you, did you have the conversation or what was that like
0: we had the convo actually when we were adopting okay because mm-hmm. terry oh, at that. the time was mr table-pounding monogamy man, mm. um, which is hilarious if you've seen him on Instagram now. <laughs> but he... <laughs> he was works really, out, kind
2: of. Yeah, he both works of out you guys. Kind of. I know
0: both of you. <laughs> He's surrounded like, by boys. Huh? <laughs> um, and he was Mr. Monogamy and was like, if you cheat on me, I'm going to leave you. And we had this combo, which like I was like, I'm not adopting with you then. Because what a terrible thing to do to a child. Not that I plan to cheat on you, but we're gay men and the odds are Mm. pretty good that one or the other, both of us are going to cheat. And if cheating means the end of our relationship, we're Mm. bringing a kid into a home that's not broken yet, but will be soon. Mm. And I just didn't think that was fair. So the agreement we hammered out wasn't anything goes, it's all okay. Cheat at will. The agreement was we will not take an infidelity as the end, but as something we're going to see if we can't work through. And feel positive about our uh, and positively enough about our relationship that we could keep things in perspective. And that's what people don't do when it comes to cheating. And I get this from people who say that I put place too much importance on sex. But, you know, here are the scales. And on one side, you put a blowjob from a rando, and the other side, you put 10 years together, marriage, family, children, property, social position. And everybody says, okay, well, that blowjob outweighs all that. I know. Which is crazy. Crazy. And I think we have to give weight to those other ways in which people demonstrate their loyalty and commitment. You mm. don't just demonstrate loyalty and commitment with genitalia, mm. you also don't just cheat with genitalia. Again, as Esther Perel says, I think so brilliantly, people cheat in, in lots of different ways that people betray their partners, is what she says, mm. with contempt, with neglect, with abuse. But all we look for is who, t- who fucked somebody. They're the bad guy.
2: Mm. Wow. Well, Taking that in. moment for Esther. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Esther, Esther
0: Perel's a genius and everyone should be reading her books.
2: We're, we're a little like, she's like,
1: <laughs> um, for your podcast, Savage Love Podcast, like what is um, a common thread that you see for the people in their 20s, like early 20s, going to 30s? Like what is a common thread for the questions that they seem to be asking you?
0: Is this normal? I Mm. still get a lot. Uh, People are really worried and doubtful. Nothing's normal (laughs) when it comes to human sexuality. Variance is the norm. Mm. So the weirder and more unique you are, the more normal you Mm. are paradoxically. Mm -hmm. Often it's uh, relationships where people aren't, aren't being honest and they're afraid to be honest for fear of rejection. I think really fear of rejection is the underlying anxiety that that drives a lot of conflict mm. and secrecy and games and fear. And people need to, to shift their perspective on rejection. Because if you're with the mm. wrong person, the sooner you get to rejection, the sooner you meet somebody else who might be right for you, the sooner you're with the right person. But people don't tell their partners the truth about who they are sexually, what they want. Um, out of this relationship to, to feel fulfilled and happy in it because they are, are afraid of being rejected. And it often like boils down to really like nitty gritty shit around kinks mm. um, or, or, or desire. And people don't want to straight people opposite sexers don't want to put that out there for fear of being judged and rejected. And gay people are like, ah, judgment and rejection. Mm-hmm. been they're done that.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. It's so interesting how that paves the way. And it's just opened conversation for our listeners. Can you explain I mean, they know, but like, just kind of defining kinks and like that, like sexual fantasies that, like, you know, I, I'm just thinking about the generation coming up, and they seem so fluid and open, and yeah, I just, I, I, I want our generation to kind of catch up. I know. Are I'm you not, excited
1: why, by the younger generation, or, not, or what are your thoughts?
0: Um, well, I think we always have to be uh, on the lookout for you know people who are. You know Whether this is representative of the entire demographic or whether these are a self-selected group of people who are Mm. in front of our faces on Twitter or Tumblr or wherever, who may not be representative of the whole, that they're outliers. A lot of these people who are sort of fluid and with it and entirely together and articulate about sex and their sex lives. Mm. There are many, many more people out there. I think the vast majority who are inhibited, struggling with hangups, trying to find the language, had lousy sex educations got on the internet, but didn't go to the woke places on the internet sexually that, uh, or gender wise that other people wind up at and aren't as sort of comfortable or mm-hmm. fluid or uh, conversant, um or able to express themselves and express their desires in a healthy way. Mm-hmm. And those are the people I tend to hear from every day.
2: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Backing up just one second for, um, I was curious about how you had a conversation with your son about, mm. you know, Having not relationships, deep relationships, but being kind of poly within your marriage. <laughs>
0: well, it's only something we've discussed with him recently. Okay. Uh, people don't want to hear about what their parents are up to. If your parents totally. were swingers, you probably totally. wouldn't totally. want them like, to tell yeah. you. <laughs> 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 yeah. Cool, though. Yeah. Um, but now that we're all adults and we all totally. live in the same place, we kind of had a combo with him where we were like, so Terry has a boyfriend. Mm-hmm. That's why that person's around a lot. Mm. And that's okay. It doesn't mean we're breaking up and it doesn't mean we don't love each other and blah, blah, blah. Just means that on top of everything else that you've had to deal with, with your family being different, (laughs) there's also this. Yeah. Yeah.
1: He's like, sounds good, dad. (laughs) He's He's like, like, can I go? He's (laughs) like, I'm going back to my room.
0: (laughs) Room, apartment. That kid's got his own apartment. I'm sure he's living
1: the life. That's so awesome. Um, Okay. I want to talk a little bit about, how we can be better like friends and allies to the lgbtq community trans community especially as things are evolving like what could um, our generation do for the females that are listening the straight ones the non straight ones like what's a way that we can support
0: the lgbt community mm-hmm. you know people talk about that and i find that so yeah. interesting because it's work to oppress people so you want to help the lgbt community like take your foot off the neck And that applies almost across the board to any marginalized community. And sometimes people, the foot is on the neck because there's fear and ignorance and misunderstanding. And so it does require some effort to, to educate oneself Mm. and to get comfortable enough so that you can take the foot off the neck. But holding people down is a struggle, Mm. you know, fighting against that is the struggle we talk about, but Mm. actually doing that to people is a struggle, like not get the fuck off. That's how you can help me stop. Stop it. Stop mm-hmm. holding me down. Stop oppressing me. Stop oppressing other people like me. Stop oppressing people because of their gender identity. Stop trying to prevent black people from voting. Like, mm-hmm. There's a million different like examples you can give of the different ways in which the majority of people in this country work together to oppress different marginalized groups. And, you know, what can we do to support? Well, the first thing you can do is knock that off. And then you can let live your be. life and let me live my life. Totally. And, And it's going to be fine. I don't need straight people in my life all day long supporting me. Totally, Mm -hmm. I need enough straight people to get over the gay thing that the straight people who would oppress me don't have the power to do so anymore. Mm.
2: Yeah. Love it. Respect. Amen. Amen. Almost 10 years ago. um, It can get better.
0: It gets better. It gets better.
2: It gets better project um, came out and I just kind of wanted to talk about the, You know why you started that, and where it is now, and kind of what you've seen over almost ten years um, of these videos being submitted. It's beautiful and impactful, and I just love to learn more about it.
0: Well, we started it in reaction to uh, one suicide in Greensburg, Indiana. You know, the idea was, you know, you'd hear about a a queer kid committing suicide, and the impulse or or the, the the feeling, this horrible feeling. Uh, That you would have was just, I wish I could have talked to that kid for five minutes um, and been able to tell them that it gets better, that it's not always high school and that family turns around and gets better. And friends who are awful, you can get rid of and you can get away from shitty people and shitty circumstances uh, in time. But, you know, as queer adults, we weren't allowed to talk to queer kids. If we tried to talk to queer kids, we were accused of recruiting or being pedophiles. So we just kind of hung back. And really for 40 years-ish, 50 years almost, since Stonewall, the deal the culture made with us was you're ours to torture until you're 18. And once you're 18, you can move away and come out. And if we haven't fucked you up fatally, Mm -hmm. maybe you can have a life. One thing you're not allowed to do, talk to the kids we're still torturing. In the same schools, in the same churches, in the same suburbs, in the same, sometimes the very same families where you were tortured. And if you try to talk to those kids because you ache for them and you empathize, we're gonna call you a pedophile. And so we didn't. And what the project was about was, and still is about, is adult queer people talking to these kids. And the kids we're talking to, uh, who most need to hear from us are kids whose parents wouldn't let them join the GSA. Kids who are in schools that don't have programs for queer kids, who don't have access to a queer youth support group or a queer role model in their lives. Because there are things adult queers know about navigating uh, bullying, navigating homophobia, transphobia, biphobia, uh, that these queer kids need to hear, but don't have any way of accessing. And the whole idea of the project was to make it that that hard-earned wisdom uh, accessible to these kids. Because you think about you know people when we started the project were like you know queer kids aren't the only kids who get bullied. Absolutely, one hundred percent correct. But the kid at school who's bullied because of his race or her faith or his class, which is the kind of bullying we never talk about, goes home to parents of the same race, same faith, same class, that, mm. who will arm them with strategies that they can tell what's happening to them and expect support uh, wow. and, and, and interventions from their families, if need be. Their families got their backs. And queer kids go home to what? Mm -hmm. maybe the lucky ones go home to families that love and support them. The really unlucky ones go to home to families that are also bullying them. But the vast majority go home to families that they don't know if they can tell because they don't know how they react. So they don't say anything. And even if they could tell them what it's this, what are their straight parents going to tell them about? Uh, how to survive this kind of anti-gay bullying or anti-queer bullying that they're experiencing. Their parents don't know how to do it. And the people who did know how you do it are the people who learned through trial and error on their own, how to fucking do it, but that they didn't have a way before the project of like putting that in a place where the queer kids could access it and find it until we created the project. that's what it was all about. Like illuminating a path that that existed that we knew where it was, but they didn't know where it was because it wasn't lit up and the project lit those paths up
2: at that age. Yeah. It feels like final destination where you just like, don't think you could ever rise up and ever feel joy or ever feel accepted. That's yeah. There's something about high school that's so myopic. Yo, like, it's like,
1: this is the only person that I will ever love. This is the only friends that I will ever have. This is the only,
2: it's, it's,
0: this is the person I will always be. Yeah. This is the way I will always be treated. Why is that? I wonder. I I think it's adolescence. I think it's hormones. I think it's Mm. the eternity that we spend in high school. I don't think high school needs to be four years, it could be three. And and it induces a kind of learned helplessness and despair in many, 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 many kids. And that's, that's a problem.
1: Have you always been such a, like, it's like, you're so, you just see something like you have a vision for something and then you just like unabashedly go for it. Like, how do you, I just wonder like what sort of skills are like how to be less afraid? Like, what is that like part of you that's so unafraid and so sure?
0: Oh, I'm afraid and unsure all the time. (laughs) I think the ideas that I push out into the world are sometimes good because I'm, because I'm actually very self-critical. Uh, And I think long and hard about something before I move. Um, And then when I do move on it, like the It Gets Better project, I was thinking about that for, uh, you know, uh, weeks before Mm. we just pulled the trigger. Thinking about it for weeks, but also talking to other people. I I reached out to a lot of uh, gay writers uh, and queer bloggers I knew to say, so if we did this, what do you think of this concept? What do you think of this name? Do you think this will take off? Do you think your readers would respond? Would you be tempted to write about it if we did this? And really like sussed it out. So it's not just that I was like, hey, let's make a video on Saturday morning and on Saturday afternoon it was out there in the world. Um, I prepped it.
1: Wow. Yeah. And then last question for me, where do you get your information then? Like, you know, with your publication and then everything you kind of put out in the world, like where do you get your news and info? Uh
0: I'm a Twitter addict. Mm. Hi, my name is Dan and I'm addicted to Twitter. <laughs> um I read a lot of uh, you know, I get I still get the Dead Tree New York Times and the New Yorker at my house. And I uh love and I've always been a news junkie. Um and Twitter is just it's just so addictive for Who's news junkies. Who's your favorite junk person
1: use. to follow on Twitter? Mm-hmm.
0: Josh Marshall at Talking Points Memo, because okay. I'm a news junkie, yeah, and, yeah. and he pushes out just the right amount of hard news and, and, and very valuable links with just hilarious snark, uh, and I very much enjoy following him. And Mark Harris is somebody else on Twitter. John Marshall,
2: uh, Mark Harris. Okay. Uh, that
0: I love following.
2: Okay. Okay, last two things I want I want you to touch on so our uh, listeners know about them. Hump. <laughs> Yeah, I are to talk about talking about not being afraid and just doing but it.
0: Talking about something we talked about for two years <laughs> before we launched it. Really? Oh, I'm sure. Pump um, is uh, America's best dirty little film festival. Um, and the idea when we launched it here in Seattle, uh, 14, 15 years ago, was we invited people just in Seattle uh, to make five minute or less pornographic films that then would be screened in a movie theater in Seattle. And then all the copies would be destroyed at the end of the weekend. So you could be a porn star for that weekend in that movie theater without winding up being a porn star in a movie theater or on the internet for all eternity. And it allowed for people to like, do that without having to worry about their great-grandchildren one day having mm-hmm. to look at great-grandma's pussy. <laughs> and it was really, you know, we didn't know when we announced it. We weren't sure that anybody would make and submit films, particularly when we would be screening them in the city where you live, because it was just for Seattle when we first rolled it out. Uh, and then we got so many great and funny and hilarious and creative pornographic shorts many of them like comedic shorts with a pornographic theme or actual uh, graphic sex depicted in them, but they were still kind of funny mm-hmm. and interesting and crazy and off the wall. And then we booked a theater and the question became, will people come and sit in the movie theater in the dark next to strangers and watch pornography the way their grandparents did when they went to see Deep Throat or Behind the Green Door? Uh, And the answer was yes. Like the whole thing sold out. And this is two years of us having to talk to the publisher of The Stranger, uh, Tim Keck, and like convince him to let us do this because he was like, no one is going to make a film and no one is going to come. And you know, even if we get films, no one's going to come and and sit in a movie theater, watch pornography. And he is so wrong. and <laughs> has yeah. been so wrong. And I like to remind him every time I see him uh, how wrong he was. Still waiting
2: for your submission. We're in the 15th year. <laughs> wow. Um,
0: and it tours the country. It's going to 60 cities. It's that still, is the coolest. It's ever. still theater only. There is no online component. You have to show up at Hump to see the films in Hump. Every once in a while, a filmmaker themselves will release one of their films on YouTube if it's not graphic or, you know, one of the uh, porn tubes if it is graphic. Um, but we don't release anything. And there are lots of films that are really great and hilarious that have been in Hump that you didn't, you won't ever get to see, ever, anywhere else. What was
2: the idea to take the shame away from pornography or, like, give people that sexual fantasy that...
0: The idea was to have yeah, some fun. Yeah. Um, okay. There's some really interesting things that hump achieves, but I, you know, I'd be sucking my own dick and I should film that for hump if I could do that, but I can't, um, if He's I, if I claimed we had this high-minded goal at the start, we just wanted to have fun. And, you know, amateur porn was its own genre. And like, why not, you know, and everyone suddenly had camera phones and, and the, the technology was getting more and more easily available to everyone. So why not invite people to like create their own and see what we get. And we just wanted to do a good weekends program and have fun. And the thing that happened over the first few years, because that weekend was such a success, we announced it again. In those first few years, we got a lot of films that aped the conventions of uh, commercial pornography. Audiences hated those films. And there's always been audience awards and ballots. The audience kind of edited Hump, and those films disappeared. And the films became more personal and more idiosyncratic and more, you know, someone sharing with the audience their thing. Mm -hmm. And it being very specific to that individual in the film. But then the the thing that I love about Hump, it really is the porn festival for people who hate porn. You know, people hate porn. Talk about how dehumanizing it is. The porn and Hump is humanizing because these films are made by friends and lovers for fun and for each other and to share with the audience. And there's no commercial motivation. There's no duress, mm. uh, economic duress. There's a lot of people going to porn or going to yes. sex work under economic duress. People go into all sorts of shitty lines of work under economic duress. It's not to single out porn or sex mm-hmm. work for that. But you can just like relax and enjoy hump without having to worry for the people that you're watching, yeah. which sometimes you do when you look yeah. at regular porn. But I watch the audiences at hump, and this is what I love. There's gay porn, straight porn, kink porn, uh, porn featuring you know uh, people who have who are trans uh, or of uh, you know intersex, gender nonconforming bodies. And you've got this audience of queer people and straight people and kinky people and vanilla people. And the gay boys are watching Cunnilingus giant on the screen. And the straight guys who have never in their lives seen gay sex are watching a guy getting his ass reamed giant on the screen. <laughs> and vanilla people are watching kinky wow. porn and kinky yes. people are, you know, they can take it watching vanilla porn and and cisgendered people are watching porn that was made by trans people for themselves and mm. not to like cater to the cis you know, gaze and the, the, the most amazing thing happens at hump, which is, you know, for the first, you know, third of it, people kind of get the wind knocked out of them. People are thrown back in their seats a little bit. They're really shocked because all they can see is the differences. That's not my thing. That's not the kind of sex I enjoy. That's not the kind of sex partner I would pick. That's not the, the body type I like. Those aren't my kinks or whatever. And you know, that's how my sexual orientation that's happening up there on the screen. And you're watching porn, you know, that if you're home alone sitting in front of your computer masturbating, you wouldn't click on, mm-hmm. right? And you're being, you're watching just what we throw at you. And at first, people are just like, oh, and they have the wind knocked out of them. And oh, that's not my thing, not my thing, because all they can see are, is the differences. And about a third of the way through, halfway through... People are laughing and clapping and cheering for every film. You don't, no one's knocked back in their seat anymore. Even if something off the wall comes up next, people are in it and loving it. Mm. And there's just this moment where you can just feel the audience turn where they go from only being able to see the differences to seeing the similarities. Cause the differences are this thin veneer on top of all of the stuff that we all experience in the same way. The sense of vulnerability, desire, a sense of humor, lust, that that desire for connection yes. all of that is underneath this thin layer of differences and all of that is the same whether you're gay or straight or trans or bi or kinky or vanilla and you just can watch because we watch the audiences you can just watch the audience turn and that's people I don't think people could articulate it at that moment but they get it at that moment
2: it's a beautiful way to put it just a thin veneer
0: and it's really well wow. it's really fun yeah you know, to to see what everybody else is up to, what turns everybody else on, and some of the films are crazy. You know, we had a film called uh, "Go Ahead and Pee" a few years ago, and it was a woman jumping. <laughs> Tell us a,
2: everything about this. A woman
0: <laughs> jumping on a trampoline in a gray unitard uh-huh. in a backyard, while a voiceover said, "Go ahead, pee," and then suddenly you realize she was peeing as her unitard turned a darker gray at the crotch and down the legs, and then the film ends. <laughs> And people were like, how is that pornography? We're like it's her porn. That's her thing. That's her pornography. That turns her on because wow. sex is whatever works for you. Totally. And that was what that works for her. That does it for her. She shared her porn with us and how crazy and fun was that? I love that. That's yeah, amazing. I do. Go ahead. And, go ahead and pee.
1: <laughs> yeah, honestly, she's like, I need you to do a voiceover. Um, okay. Last thing. What would you tell your like early twenties self? If you could like tell them anything.
0: My early 20s self. What was
1: early 20s, Dan?
0: Buy Apple. Yeah, Mm, man. Dude. (laughs) Did you see the... I mean, stock, of course. Yes.
1: Did you see the recent study? It's like if Apple was a country,
0: it Mm -hmm. would be like
1: the 30th richest country in the world. It would have... like It's it's like insane.
0: Yeah. Buy Apple is probably the first thing I would tell my early 20s self. (laughs) Like every cent you could scrape up, buy Apple. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the other thing I would tell myself sex and relationship-wise... Would be to start telling the truth that, you know, the thing that I tell everybody about being honest, about by using their words, those are lessons I had to learn. Um, I think maybe we all have to learn them. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I was in relationships where I cheated. I was in relationships uh, that weren't right for me because I thought those were the kinds of relationships I ought to want to have. I did things that were crazy, like when I first came out that were crazy, like I was going to be, I was never going to have anal sex because that upset straight people too much. So I was going to be the kind of gay person that straight people could be comfortable around because I would be the kind of gay person who never did butt stuff. That was nuts. Yeah, I was <laughs> like, what does that even awesome. look? awesome and a lot of like, straight people do like- <laughs> that too. And I just think I had to learn to relax and learn to You know, the stuff that I do is mostly encouraging people to accept themselves and tell the truth about themselves and have the courage to do so. Uh, I wasn't born with that. I had to learn how to do that Mm. through trial and error. It was mostly, you know, I would not be honest and it would fuck everything up. And then I was like, okay, how much worse could it be if I was honest? Maybe Mm. if I was honest, it wouldn't explode. And I started telling the truth and asking for what I wanted and um, being for my partner, the person that they asked me to be, if I could be that person too. Um, and that just worked so much better. doesn't mean no conflict, doesn't mean no stress, doesn't mean no drama or fights or heartbreak or heartache. All of that is just built into the human experience, but so much less unnecessary uh, chunks of all that shit, mm-hmm. if you're being honest.
2: Beautiful. Dan Savage. That was amazing. You're the best. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank for you sharing guys. inspire me to you. be honest.
0: Sorry? You inspire me to be honest. Yeah, what's I the worst thing that could partners? happen? Sorry? <laughs> <laughs> <I'm just kidding. laughs> the worst thing that could happen is somebody yeah. dumps Dude, you. Dude, when you... I'm
1: honest about something that I'm scared to be honest about, I get fucking high. Like I'm like, oh my God. Like it's just like it feels so good. Mm-hmm. Not that I am not honest a lot, but I'm honest a lot. But when it's something seems challenging. I'm honest about and there's it. There's
0: exceptions to every rule including the just be honest thing. There are times when the most loving thing you can do is lie your fucking face off. Wow. Mm-hmm.
2: Got that covered. <laughs> <laughs> Thank, Thank you, you so much. How for can coming. people connect with you?
0: Uh, you can listen to the Savage Lovecast, my podcast. 10 years now I've been doing it.
2: That's a inc- That's crazy.
0: I-, Ten I know, years? right? SavageLoveCast.com is where wow. you can find the, the LoveCast. I also write uh, Savage Love, my syndicated sex advice column. I've been doing that for 28 years. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, right? Wow. Uh, and that you can find at thestranger.com. That's so good. Where you can also find the Savage Love Letter of the Day. Uh, and Savage Love is published in about 70, 80 papers across North America and Canada.
2: Incredible. And people have been calling to your show, which yeah. I, lo- I love
0: that aspect of your show. 206 302 2064, if you want to call with a question go. on oh Savage love cast. <laughs> Ladies, tell, tell them we sent you.
2: <laughs> All right. right. Thank you so Thank much.
1: Thank you so much.
2: Thank Bye you. guys. Yep. Bye.
1: Dan Savage. Dan Savage, Woo-hoo! y'all. Thanks yeah, for coming, Dan. How- um, we didn't talk about this in the intro, but him doing the It Gets Better. You know, that would that campaign yes. is everything. So just so honored to have Dan on. Dan is amazing. Um, and as we end, end every episode, want to read the review of the week. You guys are so sweet in writing your reviews. They mean so much to us. They help us bring on amazing guests and really just keep this thing going. Um, so this one is five stars. There aren't enough stars to properly rate this from Gumby 12 I don't listen to podcasts, but my best friend said I just had to give this one a chance. She was referred to this podcast by another friend and couldn't stop raving about it. So I gave it a listen and now I can't stop sharing it either. These ladies take a long look at and talk about everything from hormones, sex, being a woman, entrepreneurship, and using safe cleaning products. We get to sit back and learn about it all. What I love about them is that they ask the questions we want answered. I swear I've asked something aloud to myself and hear them asking the same question, not even a minute after me. I love their enthusiasm. Every episode is jam-packed with interesting conversations and really good humor. I really can't say enough about how happy I am that I'm listening to and learning from the Almost 30 podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, sweet
2: one. Oh. <clears throat> Okay. We love you. Just want to eat you up. Thank you guys for listening. We love you. We will see you, talk to you, connect with you soon, connect with each other. It really brings us life. You connecting in real life with one another in your own communities. Please do that. Tag us. We want to know, invite us to your groups on Facebook. Don't leave us out. We want to be a part of it and we will see you next week.